Okay. So on Tav Chav Aleph, Amar Aleph, 21a, and we're continuing the conversation that we began yesterday. The Gemara had began with a conversation about a machlekes between Rabbi Yehuda and Achachamim as to whether or not a tent which was not made by man, a naturally occurring tent, whether or not that is considered a tent. At this point, the conversation is a conversation primarily about laws of Toma and Tahara, laws of purity and impurity. Right? So if something is overhanging an impure object and overhanging another object as well, if we consider the upper object a tent, then it will halachically convey the impurity from the impure object to the pure object. Rabbi Huda holds that if this tent was not made by the hand of man, it is not a tent. So the Gemara now asks on the fifth line of 21a, and is that true that Rabbi Huda holds that any tent that was not made by the hand of man is not considered to be a tent? Rabbi will ask you a contradiction. There's a Mishnah in Ahalais which teaches, um, sorry, Mishnah in Para, which teaches that the Chatzeris Hayabanuis for Yerushalayim al Gabe has They had courtyards in Yerushalayim that were built on top of a cell, on top of rocks. And right underneath those rocks there was a Chalal. The concern is like this. Anytime you don't know what's underneath you, there's a possibility that there might be a grave underneath you. And if there's a grave underneath you, that grave can possibly convey the, the tumma up through the area above and make you tame as well. So these courtyards were built in a specific way in which they would not be able to be conveyed the tumma from underneath them above them. So these women would come they would bring pregnant women to these courtyards and they would give birth over there and they would raise their sons there for the sake of helping for the para aduma the para aduma has to be done in a very strict um, ritual purity sense this is a rabbinic requirement and what would happen is like this when they were gathering the water for the para aduma for the, uh, they would put the ashes of the paraduma into this water together with the hyssop, and then they would sprinkle it, rendering the people who have been sprinkled on ritually pure. They wanted to ensure that that water was collected in a tremendously, a very, very um, stringent state of ritual purity. So they'd actually give birth to children in this place where it was impossible for them to become impure. And they would take these children, <coughs> they would take these children at a later age, before they were bar, bat, bar or bas mitzvah, and they would bring oxen. And they would put doors on top of these oxen. And they would put these children on top of the doors on top of these oxen. And they had, they had um, cups made out of rock, out of, um, out of stone in their hands because these cups cannot become really impure. They would get to the Shiloh spring under, in, you know, below Yerushalayim. They would go down into the water and they would fill up their cups of stone with water. Then they would go back up on top of the oxen and then they would return to bring that water to be used in the ritual of the Paraduma ashes. As a side point, he says that they would actually not leave the top of the axe, and they would actually lower some sort of a rock down, a, you know, a vessel that cannot be ritually impure. They would lower it down into the water so as not to butt up against the problem of kever hatahim, of a kever, of a grave that we do not know about, that is in the depths, and that would convey ritual impurity. Betanya, the Brisa continues and explains. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda actually was of the opinion. They did not have to put doors on top of these oxen. They just had to bring oxen by themselves and then put the children on top of them. The Gemara now is going to explain its problem. 
We started off by saying that Rabbi was of the opinion that if a tent was not made by the hand of man, it is not considered to be a tent. Now, what are we talking about over here? Why do we need a tent? Well, the answer is like this. As the ox travels from these courtyards in Yerushalayim <coughs> to the Mehashileach, to the Shiloach Spring, if there would be any Tuma anywhere along the route, the ox is interposing between the Tuma and the child sitting on top of it, and therefore the child will not become ritually impure. Rabbi Huda says, we do not need any door on top of the ox for the child to sit on it. Even just the ox alone is already sufficient. Now, why is the ox sufficient to serve as a tent, blocking the Tumah from going above it? Shvarim oxen are a tent which was not made in the hand of man. And we learned in this price that Rabbi Huda says, They did not bring doors. They would only put the oxen. They wouldn't have to put doors on top of the oxen. Kiasa Rev Dimi Amar He says even Rabbi Yehuda agrees that even if you have a tent which was not made by the hands of man, however, it is not a tent which is only one tefach height. It is a tent which is fistfuls of height, so it's quite a large tent. Then even Rabbi Yehuda would agree, even if it's not made by man, it is still going to be considered a tent, both for the sake of sometimes serving as a separator, as a divider between Tumah and what's above it, and sometimes serving to convey Tumah, the impurity, from one side of the area to the other side of the area that it's overhanging. Tanya Hachi, we'll learn to like this as well. And Rabbi Huda agrees that in a case where you have Shkifen and Nekike Haslayim, where these are tents that are not made by man, these are naturally occurring tents, but since they have very large space that they are overhanging, that actually is considered to be a proper tent. Continues the Gemara. Now, one second. Rabbi Huda seems to say that they would not be able to use the, the doorway. He says that instead, instead of using a door, you should just use the axe. Why? The door has many, is overhanging many a griffin, many fistfuls of height. Rabbi Huda says you should not put them on top of doors, rather, you should put them on top of oxen. Rabbi Abaya says, no, no, you misunderstood. Not that you specifically should not put them on top of a doorway. A door, but rather it's not necessary to put them on top of a door. The axe itself is sufficient. They specifically did not want to bring doors, not because it wouldn't serve as a tent. The door would serve as a tent. It would be a beautiful tent, according, even according to Yehuda. The reason why they didn't want to bring doors is out of concern that the child will feel very comfortable when sitting on top of a door. And what will happen? Perhaps he'll stick out the, the ends of one of his limbs and he will become tame by overhanging something along the route. Turning the page now to 21b. Uh, it will overhang something from a hidden grave and he'll become ritually impure. So if we don't allow them to sit on a door on top of this ox, they will not end up doing anything, will not end up overhanging anything at all. Tanya Kavase de Rabba, we learned in our vice like Rabba. Exactly this idea. They did not bring doors because they did not want the children to feel very comfortable. Because then he'll end up perhaps sticking out his head over the over the edge of the door, and then he'll actually will overhang something which is tame, and thereby invalidating the water that he's collecting. They would actually bring specifically Egyptian cows. These are the Egyptian cows from the first dreams of Paro, not the second dreams of Paro. Because they have very wide stomachs. These are Belgian blues or Kobe beef. 
And there were children who would sit on top of these cows, and they had these cups of stone in their hands. So this b'risa explicates clearly the position of Rabbi Yehuda, that what happens is they were able to sit on the backs of these cows, because the backs of the cows were sufficient to serve as a separator between the Tumah and the child. And if they would put the door there, then they would feel too comfortable and perhaps reach out over the edge. Re Mita, the Yeshbat Kamei Grave, and the Gemara now finally gets to what's the connection to the, the Sukkah? Well, the answer is that our Mishnah that we did yesterday tells us that Rabbi Huda said that we used to sleep underneath the bed when we were in the Sukkah, and the Zakanim didn't say anything to us. Now, how could he hold that you could do that? But Re Mita, the Yeshbat Kamei Grave, and a Mita, a bed has many different Grave, and still is um, many different fistfuls of height underneath it. And still, we learned in our Mishnah, we used to sleep underneath the bed in front of the elders, the great Talmud HaChaman. And that was okay. But Rabbi Yehuda was of the opinion that that would not be okay. The Gemara says it's a little different. The bed was made for the sake of lying down on top of the bed. And therefore, even though typically it would have been considered a tent, it's only true when the area that it is enclosing, it was put here for the purpose of enclosing that area. If it's not put here for the purpose of enclosing that area, but rather for the purpose of serving as a, a bolster for the area above it, then that's a different category. So the Gemara says, what do you mean? The, the oxen also are made for what's on top of them, not for what's underneath them. Oxen are different because indeed they serve the purpose of overhanging and protecting, protecting the, the shepherds and the, the flock, the cattlemen in the sunny season from the sun and in the rainy season from the rain. So indeed they do serve this purpose and therefore they would serve as a separator. And we should say the same thing about a bed, because the bed also overhangs sandals and, um, and shoes underneath them. So that also serves the purpose of serving as an overhang, so it should be significant, and therefore it should be a separator. And he should not be able to fulfill his mitzvah of sleeping in the sukkah, if he's sleeping underneath the bed. It's considered to have another area that's inside the sukkah that is contradicting his dwelling in the sukkah. So the Gemara says, Beautiful idea. An axe is actually created to encompass its innards, right? And its intestines. Shenemra, as you say in a Pasik in Pasik in Iyug, it says, Aru Basar Talbisheni, skin and flesh you Talbisheni, you have clothed me, Ubat Samis Vigidim to Sechicheni. And with Atsamis and with bones and Gidim and sinews to Sechicheni, you have uh, roofed over me. So the cow, its skin, its body, was made to surround its insides. Since it's made to surround its insides, it's already serving the purpose of surrounding something underneath it in a very significant way. And therefore, it can also serve as a separator between the child on its back and Tumah underneath it. We may have another answer. Why Rabbi Huda and our Mishnah said it was okay, even though Rabbi Huda should have said it's not okay. Rabbi Huda is going according to his reasoning. To Amar, as he says, Sukkah diras Rabbi Huda held. And Rabbi Huda in the very first Mishnah Sukkah said that you could have a Sukkah that's taller than 20 amas. Why? He held that you need to have a permanent dwelling in your Sukkah. Bed is not meant to be a permanent type of dwelling. And therefore, so you have a situation like this. You have a Sukkah, you need Dires Kava. The bed is only Dires Arai. The Sukkah Oyel Kava. And the Sukkah is a permanent tent. And a 
temporary tent is not going to come and invalidate your dwelling in the permanent tent that is above it. Rabbi Shimon was also the one who said that Sukkot requires the Kava, a permanent dwelling in a Sukkah. And still he held that you could have a temporary tent come and break the ability to be sleeping in a permanent tent. One of them says a temporary tent can come and can invalidate a permanent tent. The other one says a permanent tent, a, I'm sorry, a temporary tent cannot come and invalidate a permanent tent. So now we have two answers for Rabbi Yehuda. One answer is that the bed is not made for to overhang the area underneath it. And therefore, even when you're underneath the bed, it's considered like you're inside a sukkah, and as opposed to the cow. And the second answer is that it's qualitatively different when you, according to Rabbi Yehuda, because it is his position, which is that it needs, the sukkah needs to be a permanent type of dwelling. And the temporary dwelling of it, if a bed, is not going to invalidate the permanent dwelling of the sukkah. The Mishnah, we continue to quote the Mishnah, and the Mishnah tells us the story. Rabbi Shimon comes and says, there was an incident with Tavi Avdeh, Tavi the servant of Rabbi Gamliel, who was a great Talmud Chacham, as we know from Msech the Sprachas. And Tavi Avdeh was sleeping underneath the sukkah. Tanya, we learned in Rabbi Yisrael, Amr Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, From the regular words of Rabbi Gamliel, we were able to learn two things. We see from here that servants are exempt from the mitzvah of sleeping in a sukkah, or anything related to do with a sukkah. And we also learned, and we also learned, according to Rabbi Gamliel, if a regular person would have slept underneath the bed inside the sukkah, he would not have fulfilled his mitzvah purpose, his obligation. So the Gemara now says, right? Why don't we say? Why do we say from the words? And we use the word of sicha, which is like the casual words of Rabbi Gamliel. Why don't we say devarim, the more formal words of Rabbi Gamliel? We were able to learn these two halachas. What's the point? Why do we use a different word that's more of a casual type of word? The Gemara says, We wanted to teach you something agav orche along the way. How do you know that even the regular casual words of a Talmachacham require deep analysis to, to figure out what exactly they're trying to teach us? It says, So we see from here that we wanted to allude to the fact that we're talking about even the Sicha, even the, the Stam words, even the casual conversation of a Talmachacham requires deep analysis. And that's why we said even the Sikhasai of Rangam Leo taught us these two things. Somebody puts their tent, their their um their schach on top of the bed post. is a kosher sukkah. If the bed post were absolutely necessary to help the schach stand up, then it will be a puzzle sukkah. The Gemara asks, My time is Rabbi What's the reason for Behuda that it will be a puzzle sukkah if the bedpost, if the sukkah were not able to stand up without the bedpost underneath it? Pligibar of Zeira of Abba Bar Mamla. Zeira and Abba Bar Mamla argue. Chadam of Neshe'in la Keva. One of them says because, once again, Behuda's position is that it has to be Keva. And this is not considered to be Keva because it, the, it wouldn't stand without the bedposts. Chadam of Neshe'in la Keva. The other one suggests a different opinion, which is a fascinating idea. This schach is going to be reliant, is going to be dependent and hanging on something which is able to become ritually impure, which is a problem. What would be the difference between these two opinions, explaining the position of Rabbi Yehuda, why it was invalid to 
put your schach directly on this bedpost if the bedpost if the schach would fall down without the bedpost. So the difference is The difference would be if you implanted, if you stuck shpudin of barzel, iron um, spits, <coughs> into the ground, and then you put schach on top of them. According to the one who says it's not a permanent type dwelling, a bed is not a permanent type dwelling. But if you stick iron spits into the ground and then build a structure and then put your schach on top of it, it's true that these are vessels that are able to become ritually impure, which would not be valid according to one opinion, as even as the the dependent, the um, the foundation for the schach. According to the other opinion, that the problem was that this was too much of a impermanent dwelling, and this is Rabbi Huda Shito says it has to be permanent. This itself, by putting these iron spits in the ground, you've created a permanent type dwelling. The one who says, because the problem was that you put it on, you helped stand it up on something which can become ritually impure. It's still the same problem. You're standing it up on these iron spits that are able to become ritually impure. Abaya says, this is only true when you are samach it on the mita. But if you put the schach directly on top of the bed, then you're actually kosher. My According to the one who says that the problem is that it was not so kavuadik, it wasn't as it wasn't as permanently um, planted as you would have wished to be. Over here, it is more implanted. According to the one who says, well, the problem is that you were standing it up on something which is able to become ritually impure. Over here, it's not able to become ritually impure. What do we mean by this? What we mean is like this. What we mean is that if you Put your, you build a wall, you build your own walls right next to a bed. You build your walls for your sukkah right next to a bed. And then you put your schach on top of those walls, right? But you also are using the walls of the, um, you're using the walls of the, of the bed for your walls, but your support for your schach are not the bed walls, okay? So if your support for your schach are not the bed walls and they're put down in a permanent way, then everybody would agree, according to Behuda, that this would be a kosher sukkah, even though the walls are actually coming from the bedposts. That's not relevant to us. What's relevant to us is that the support for the schach are not coming from the bedposts and that it is placed in a permanent fashion, according to Behuda, and both requirements are satisfied over here. Okay, take care, everyone. Have a good night.